Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the start of our motherhood series. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be speaking to different women about their experiences of motherhood. I'm Steph, and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. I've just got in from the nursery run. I'm in my kitchen. We got absolutely soaked. And for some reason, this week, my youngest, Frank, has been coming home with giant creations. Like, I'm talking a three-foot spaceship made of old cereal boxes and a lot of sticky tape. And he is insisting we carry them back to nursery the next day. And then they come home again at pickup, plus whatever he's made that day. It feels like it might be a joke, like they're kind of piling it on me and they're going, at what point will she say I'm not taking that home? Anyway, he is in front of the telly watching Andy's safari adventures with a plate of pre-bedtime snacks. And I think he has no idea how good he's got it. How much would you like to come home from a day and sit with someone just fetches you snacks. It just would be so good. Anyway, today's guest is Dr. Kieran Rahim, a woman who is smack in the middle of the rush hour that we talk about on this podcast. She recently had her third baby. She is a paediatrician and an influencer, and it's a role that she takes seriously in that she doesn't want to portray just a rosy picture. She talks about the tough bits as well as the good, And in today's episode, we're talking about marriage and how having kids is the hardest thing her marriage has faced. She talks about the fourth trimester and she's done it differently with her third child. And we also talk about Kieran's experience of burnout, which she describes as terrifying, how she got through that. And I think it's something that is prevalent in the um, medical profession at the moment. So it was it's interesting to listen to it but also it's obviously really serious so I think it's helpful to have heard someone talk about how it was for them. Um, I loved talking with Kieran, there were loads that I related to and she also talks about the idea that we might, someone who is working and juggling and maybe has a family might be pitched as like a superwoman and she talks about how dangerous that is and it how it might stop someone from actually getting help because they feel like they've got to cope because they've got to continue to be that superwoman. So I think loads of interesting stuff in here. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation and I will be back at the end with a bit about what's coming up next for the podcast. 
so I first was introduced to you via um, Nick, who is our social media manager. So she um, posts at Too Much Mothering Information on oh, Instagram. Cool. But she shared, I think it was like at the beginning of COVID, and you were doing some really, because you're a paediatrician, but you mm. also then were kind of flipped to ITU in the height mm. of things when well, when things were gathering pace. And you were coming up with like really practical information you were posting kind of speaking to camera just saying this is what's happening um it's just things like about washing hands staying at home and and it, but it was such a breath of fresh air because there was so much noise and opinion mm. as well and you were like right this is really factual so and you you are an influencer as well as a pediatrician a mum of three now um and all the other stuff you've got going on so it's a lot Mm. But but the thing that I was like, I really wanted to talk to you, especially was because you posted about the fourth trimester mm. and um, you wrote about like ancestral rituals and how you have a different understanding now of why those existed and how important they are. And I just wanted you to talk a bit about that um, and that kind of concept of allowing yourself to recover after you have a baby. Yeah. So, you know, growing up, um, I come from a South Asian background for your listeners. So growing up, there are lots of things that are inherently built into our culture that rely on a sense of community. So it's very much from a very young age, most, you know, second generation or people from like the South Asian diaspora are brought up with a sense of community that it's not just about you. It's about you in the context of your family and then your family in the context of the community um, and and this idea of um, being there for one another. And um, and I think it stems from sort of where in warmer climates, things are a little bit more social. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, so when you are from sort of India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, life is very, very social. People drop in unannounced, they come in, family members, you've got large families. And then when we obviously I've grown up in the UK. And so when my mum used to talk about these rituals and things and I used to roll my eyes as far as the head would go, like, honestly, I'd just be like, here I go, another lecture about just how amazing South Asian life is. And obviously, I wasn't used to that, right? Because I'm I'm a byproduct of the British system, because I've lived here all my life. I've grown up here, I've gone to school, college, uni. And one of the things that you know, she really harped on about when I had my first baby was the first was the fourth trimester, which 10 years ago, actually, Steph, people didn't talk about it, really, Mm. not really. And I say this as a pediatrician, and I say this as a doctor, no one really paid any attention. In fact, 10 years ago, people were like, when are you getting back to work? Okay, so wow, you're taking a whole year off. Oh my God, like, that's a lot. Like, what are you going to do in that time? Mm -hmm. And so the pressure then really was to conform to this expectation that I can just return and not act like I've had a baby. And my mum used to harp on about, you know, staying at home, resting, nurturing myself, connecting with my baby um, establishing breastfeeding because it's a, it's a big thing in our communities both from a cultural point of view but from a religious point of view as well it's sort of the ultimate act of mothering in in, in religion as well and I was like oh for flip's sake mother just stop talking <laughs> You know, like, you know, in a way that lots of advice comes from lots yeah. of well-meaning people. She was just adding to that noise. Mm. 
And then I had my second baby three years later, um, and it was very much the same. And with my second, I had what I would describe as mild postnatal depression. I just, it was a very busy time. And again, instead of taking that time to sit back and just allow myself to exist, Against, you know, my work, society was saying, you need to get back into it, you need to get back into it. So instead of having that year out as mat leave, what the hell did I do? I decided to take all my professional exams, which means that I was studying insane amount of hours. So when my eldest would be at nursery, I'd have like six, seven hours of like boob baby sling trying to cram for like oh these really, really hard postgraduate exams, mm. which if you would speak to anyone in, in any other field, you know, who'd be like, like, were you on crack? That's the only way I can think of saying it. Like, what were you on? Did you feel like, because this is this sounding very, very similar to me and it was almost like, with the second one, well, I've already done this one, so I know what to do. I should know what to yes. do. So therefore I can ca- crack on even, even more yes. so than with the first. Yes. Which is mad because then you've probably got a toddler and a newborn. If, if you exactly. are the first person who should be lying down at any opportunity. I know. And honestly, it was it was so bad. And, mm. you know, I remember now, and probably why I had postnatal mm, depression, mm, because yeah. I'd placed this like enormous ton of like weight on me to perform to pass my exams and I did it like I did get my qualification at the end of that mat leave I did all three of you know three of my papers my viva and I have so little memory of that period which sort of reflects the trauma I I think I've gone I went through because it is it was traumatic trying to study with a toddler in tow and, Mm. and a child and a husband in a house and then going back to work And then this time round, I think with everything that's happened with the pandemic, with sort of going through therapy and coming out the other end with a sort of new appreciation for life, Mm. I actually thought, you know what, no, this time round, I'm going to do exactly what I need to, which is to ignore the noise of well-meaning but bad advice um, Mm. and just sit at home. And that's literally all I did. So my only job in the fourth trimester, and I made this very, very clear to anyone that was, you know, close. Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. like, look, guys, all I want to do is just veg. That's all I want to do. Sit in front of the TV if I want to. And I need help in doing that. And, you know, unfortunately, my grandmother passed away um, Mm. uh, two weeks before uh, Emma was born. And she was very much the head of my household and she raised me when I was younger. So her loss is something that I felt in words that I can't describe. And the grief of that is something I'm still coming to terms with, but she, yeah. she was probably my first love. That's, that's the way I describe my grandmother. She was, I'm she, so sorry. no, that's okay. She, you know, so losing her at a time when I was welcoming, welcoming my daughter into the world mm. after having two mm. sons was insane and I I remember saying to my friends I can't get through this alone and my mum is her mother so she's grieving and my aunts are grieving so my normal circle my normal village that would have stepped in and you know cooked and cleaned and helped me with the children and stuff has really gone and so this time around I was just like I need I need help and what that looks like is I just need food I don't care about the house I don't care Mm -hmm. whatever but I'm very very big on food you know um 
and 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 help came and my friends were amazing mm. and you know god bless their souls like they cooked and they took the kids my brothers came took the older two spent time with them and so for the first 6 to 8 weeks of amal's birth i did very little and that's exactly mm. what i wanted to do i breastfed her i sat on the couch and just allowed myself to ignore all that noise about routines and you know x y and z and just did what i felt like doing which Mm. takes a lot of courage i think in this day and age well you're having to shut off all the noise like the this podcast is in part about that rush hour that we're in which is exactly you are in, in it with you know three children and work yeah. and a partner and all that stuff and it's almost going against what you've been conditioned to feel so you have to and you know it's right this is mm. what i mean I, i've written about pulling up the drawbridge and I banged on about it a lot when I had my third and it did take exactly like you to my third to do it. Um, And my whole experience was entirely different because of that. But it was the same thing. It was like I I put myself first Mm. and in doing that was putting my baby first. And I think you have to, to, did you feel like you had to talk yourself down from potentially feeling guilty about neglecting the other children? See, you know, it's interesting what I have guilt over and it, and this is with the beauty of hindsight is not allowing myself to have that same feeling of nesting with the old two and rushing things Mm, mm. you know with my first I was out and about as soon as time would allow with my second I was going for walks daily not because I wanted to because that was the expectation that you must go for a walk every single Mm. day that you must do this and actually, when I when I look at the bond that I have with each of my children, children, I think my my natural maternal instinct mm-hmm. took the longest to develop with my firstborn, mm-hmm. and with my second, it, it eventually came as well. But with her, it's just been there because I've allowed it to be there. And so the way I feel in these couple of months, and you know. I I know this because I've written notes from when I was pregnant with the other two and when they were born, like emails to themselves for them to read when they're older. Mm. And so when I reflect on those and I reflect on how I feel with Milu, it's, it's, it's a completely different thing. And so I have a lot of guilt over that. And this time around, I, you know, my eldest was eight when Amal was born and my my then now middle child was five. And I used to just say to them, we, she was born and two weeks later, we had half term and my boys are used to doing stuff in the half term. And, you know, they kept saying, you know, mama, like, do you want to go out? And I was just like, no, mama's still hurting. Mm-hmm. I, I feel really tired because Mina's a baby. She doesn't let me sleep. And it was actually involving them in her fourth trimester and Mm. nesting as a family which we've never done before and really just saying to people that you know no one we don't really want visitors for the first month uh, you know which is a a massive thing isn't it because I think that was the the, that that was the biggest thing I had messages about when I wrote about pulling up the drawbridge and the mad things that people do Mm. like there was one I remember one woman saying that she um, like her mother-in-law was parked outside when they arrived home from hospital her mother-in-law was parked outside the house in her car because and she'd had like a really traumatic birth and she just wanted to be at home and she because she wanted to be the first person to hold the baby aside from the parents and I had one message and she titled it Indian daughter-in-law from hell and she said after she had and it was a third as well she said the kids are all out of sorts 
from missing me as I was kept in a few days in the hospital. Then it was a case of my in-laws were here around the clock since I've been back. They mean well, but the kids are so confused about why they're always here and why we're always eating so much dal. So I've had to politely ask them to stay away for a few days while we adjust to being a family of five and I need to look after myself and my bubble. And you're like, of course. Like, yeah. if we could all get that message. So that's why I thought your post was so important because I don't think many people are saying it. And actually, I can still remember when I had all of my babies seeing people on social media going for a date night two weeks in or putting on an out with the girls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're like... And, it's mad. And the thing is, I don't I don't think people realise the message it sends because, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who have got followings who do post things like birthday parties three days after their child's second of their child's been born and catering mm-hmm. to this and that and the other. And that's fine. But the message that goes out to women is that why aren't you doing that? And what if I can mm-hmm. do it? Why can't you? Um, yeah. And, you know, it. it which is why I was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to say that I, as an independent career woman, whatever you want to see me as, whatever banner you want to put me under, I chose not mm. to do that this time. I chose to put my me and my family first. And actually, my friends got it, you know. All I said was, I actually just drop by with some food. Come in if you want. If you don't want to, that's fine. And most of them maybe stayed for 10, 10 minutes, checked in. I was Perfect. okay. Yeah. made me a cup of tea <laughs> made themselves a cup of tea mm. and then they were left you know and that's exactly what I wanted I wanted people around that if I was in an awkward position or god you know people don't talk about that your body after those first four weeks five weeks six weeks you've got insane amount of like after pains you've got insane mm. amount of IBS you you have no control over your pee you you have no control over like wind and stuff and then then there's people and you're just like oh my god like all I really mm. want to do is just go to the bathroom and sit there for hours if I need do you know what I'm yeah. saying oh just even the feeding like initially especially with I always think especially with your first mm. and that's probably the top the one that people are least likely to have worked any of this out because most people I know by the third they they've got it but your your boob you've always got a boob out and you don't really want anyone seeing that seeing that and you really don't want your father-in-law seeing that and it's like it's this mad thing that people feel they have to put themselves through and it's yeah I I think it's um maybe it will change it's just it's not a message people say because I think again it ties in with what you're saying about oh she's a superwoman she's uh all these things and actually, you you wrote a post. I've got it on the tenth of October. You wrote it because I, I, there's loads in it that is it needs quoting. But you wrote about that your this idea of you as a superwoman, a powerhouse, and strong. Are these all things that have subconsciously seeped into your being and defined you? And you internalised those. So then, when you did struggle um, with your mental health, and you talk about burnout you it, it was really conflicting because it was like well mental health is a weakness and this is you talked you've mentioned already that you have had a load of therapy and stuff since this but that burnout and especially as someone who's in the medical profession mm. how how did it feel like what what happened you know the the best way to describe it is if you imagine a snowball that goes down like a hill of snow and you know when it starts at the top it's like a tiny penny and then as it goes down this hill it accumulates more and more snow so eventually 
at the bottom it's an avalanche isn't it that's what exactly what happens and that's ex- mm. that's how I would describe burning out I mean even before the pandemic happened I was very close to it um I I don't often I don't often talk about it but I find loss in my job um and having to deliver life-changing heartbreaking news I find it tough and mm. you know I've been doing it for 10 years and I don't think it's gotten any easier or and and you know part of me is really happy that I'm not desensitized to the humanity of others but w- w- just before the pandemic started 2018-2019 for me was a really tough year at work I lost lots and lots of kids and it was just one of those I, I was working in a very high risk area and when I say I lost kids I didn't physically lose them but I felt very deeply their passing, um, mm-hmm. ranging from very premature babies to newborns to teenagers to children with um, young adults with learning difficulties. So there's a whole range. And so when I I decided to take a year out between 2019 and 2020 to recover, because I, I remember saying to my husband, I just think it's going to take one more death and I will not be able to do the job I do. Um, and so then I went into 2019, 2020 as the year of, I called it my year of rest and recuperation. And if you'd met me then I'd be oh like, God. yeah, this is the year of brunching. I'm going to brunch nine to five. This is because I had a nine to five job after, you know, nine years. I'm going to see yeah. my girlfriends and I'm going to do the things that oh. fill my cup. And then the pandemic happened and this avalanche that I did not see coming my way eventually it completely swallowed me and Mm. it started off as that insidious penny that's rolling down the hill you know you just don't see it coming and you think you're going to make it through and I didn't Um, Mm. and so when it swallowed me it is categorically the worst thing I've gone through in my life that that Mm. sense of loss of identity the loss of hope as I called it Mm. you know and to the point that you I think you said you kind of you could do your job as a kind of muscle memory thing so you could do but you you felt for the first time like I don't know if I can do this Mm. like a friend of mine who's a GP was saying it's it is a massive issue in the medical profession especially at the moment um and that and you've said that you're taught only to care for others and you're taught that resilience is really important. So it's understandable that you didn't almost recognise this coming. Yeah, It's, you know, honestly, I and I really hate the word resilience now because I am a resilient person. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you the interesting thing is, if you read my anonymous feedback so every year we get 360 anonymous feedback from our colleagues at work if you read my feedback she's great she's a great clinician blah 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 she's resilient she's hardworking. so when you are getting that as your basis and then everyone else around you is like oh you're amazing you're you you're you're a superwoman you're a powerhouse I look up to you blah 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 and then you think then why 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 can't I be more resilient you know Mm. that's the message you send yourself that I actually why why is this happening to me I should be able to bounce back I should be able to everyone else's everyone else Mm. is going to work and doing stuff but I I actually really remember that feeling of being in A&E and I remember it so well it was 3 a.m or 2 2 a.m or 3 a.m but it's at night and I have this baby in front of me and you know 
I'm so used to dealing with this. This is bread and butter for me. And she's not Mm -hmm. breathing. And I know she's not breathing. And I know I need to tube her. And I know I need to sort her out. And I distinctly remember calling my consultant saying, I think I'm going to have to transfer this one out. So I think you need to come in because we're going to tube her. We don't have an, she's an old enough baby. We don't have an ICU. So I need to transfer her. And I remember my consultant saying, what's wrong with her? And I was just like, you know, you have that moment. You're like, you know, what? I don't, I don't know what's wrong with her. Mm. Um, but I remember being so panic stricken and so in this twilight zone that if something happened to this baby, I was going to die. That, that, mm. And I was convinced that if something happened to this baby, it would be the end of me. And I think for me, that was when I realized that I'm actually really not well. Like mm. this is not a normal response for me to be dealing in with acute situations because this is bread and butter. It's what I you do, do this all the time, mm-hmm. but I have never, ever thought it's going to like harm me in any way. And so I, I remember sorting her out and just sitting in a cupboard and crying at work oh, <laughs> because there's no, there's no staff room anymore in the NHS. No, no, no <laughs> especially not in the last couple of years. That's, no. uh, yeah, it's just something else. Oh God. So when you, you also talked about at home that you felt anger and that you'd come in and you'd be like, no one talked to me for the next hour. Yeah. You you could you there was nothing left. You had no capacity basically. No, because it was I was constantly giving. And you know the thing is, in hindsight, when I look at my videos and watch those videos of me talking in the in mm. in the pandemic, and now that I'm better, I can actually see my own decline, mm. which is a very surreal experience. You know, mm-hmm. where I'm crying and I'm like, please don't go out. Like you know, we all need to do our thing. We all need to wear masks or whatever. But, and that's why I say it's like that penny rolling down. It was so insidious. I, I just, I was so angry. And it started off with brief annoyances at other people and their behaviours mm-hmm. in the pandemic. And then it developed into annoyance in the home. Well, why are my children needing me? Why can't they just not know that we are in the middle of a pandemic and I don't have anything to give them? Like, how dare they mm-hmm. demand mothering when I can't mother? Mm-hmm. And then it was my husband needing a wife. So it was the anger in me. I, I can't. I can't describe. And, and what? What if somebody is listening to that and they're they're kind of ticking like through their head and going, "Yep, I've felt that or I feel that," and yeah. all those things. What do they? What do they do? Like, what did you do? So um, I went and spoke to my GP, and I said, mm-hmm. "I am not well, and I don't know what it is about." me being not well but I can't physically work and so the first thing my GP said was okay let's talk about it and then realized I wasn't well and referred me for therapy and because I'm a doctor I'm in training I'm able to access therapy that perhaps the general public isn't so readily so I went through my work program and access therapy Um, I was subsequently diagnosed with PTSD anxiety and depression in a you know and a cocktail of fun as it is mm. literally the worst thing ever um mm. started tablets I started seeing a psychiatrist I started seeing a therapist for CBT and EMDR therapy I started taking sertraline which came which brought lots of other things to the surface so side effects and all of that jazz but the starting point was having the courage to say I need help. And so if you are listening and you find yourself ticking boxes where you are, and it's 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 more than unhappiness, it's genuinely a sense of dread and doom and that you can't cope. 
And even if you are unsure, then your GP is the best place to start. Or there are lots of charities. There's Mind Charity that are excellent mm-hmm. in dealing with mental health matters. There's the Good Samaritans, um, you know. Or you know what, just get in touch with me. I really don't mind whoever mm-hmm. it is that you want to confide in and seek help from, just ask because most of us don't. Most of us think we're fine until we're really not. I am a prime example. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I suppose that you've talked about motherhood and work. And I, I heard you on the She Speaks We Hear podcast, mm-hmm. and, you were, and it was brilliant because you were just so clear the way that you're talking about work and motherhood and you just say motherhood isn't enough it was really powerful and also some of what you talk about it almost feels quite masculine only from in a traditional sense of the word as in that you talk about compartmentalizing and things like that and it's that's probably the way to do it when you're otherwise being dragged back into oh but I need to spin all of these plates at the same time and and that's impossible. And, and, and this is the thing, though, you know, just who says it's impossible? Nobody. Mm. Nobody mm. tells us that it's impossible to do it. Or in fact, what we're told is that, you know, you can do it, do it, spin mm. all the plates and, you know, break them all and it's fine. Mm. And I'll, I will say again, mothering is not enough for me. It mothering is just one part of my identity and one that hasn't actually existed long if I look at if I if I if I look back at myself and my own evolution as a person mothering has only just come into the picture I have Mm. spent years 
and hours with a pencil and pen and, you know, cultivating my skills and gaining a knowledge set and developing who I am as a person. So how can mothering be enough? And I know, I know, as when I say this as a woman, there are women there probably thinking what, you know, you should love your children. And I do, I love my children with every ounce of my being, but Mm -hmm they aren't enough and I need to find fulfillment in in many other ways um, Mm. uh, through creativity through you know reaching out and connecting with others I am a very very empathic people's person so things like maternity leave things like being at home all the time just aren't suited to what I need and what I need changes with time so you know, and, and I think that's where the dichotomy of existence for us as working women, as stay at home mums, as w- women in general is because we're told to be sacrificial and we're not. Inherently, humans aren't sacrificial. Inherently, we are designed to evolve and look after ourselves. And so when you have those two dichotomies, which one do you nurture? And I think that's why most of us have this concept of mum guilt and this concept of oh my God, am I doing the right thing? Because on a, on, on a very basic level, we need to attend to our own needs. But then we've got this societal expectation of oh what God. a woman should be. And, you know, do men experience these things? Well, you you put you posted the other day about, um, you know, all your life you've worked and doing exams on mat leave, like you said, and then at the moment you're at home because you're on maternity leave and the kids are doing really well. And now that guilt has come in because you think, should I have done, should I have worked? And unbelievably on parents evening, you were asked, someone said you could quit work to dedicate time to your son who was struggling. Yeah. Oh my God. And and who that would, one that would never happen to a man. Never, ever, ever. Like my husband was sat right next to me. Oh God! Right, okay. Um, but also, like that, and that's so personal. That's so such personal. a personal thing to say to you. And it was interesting reading that because you also talk about um, the biggest trial our marriage has ever faced is having children. Yeah, and I one hundred percent agree with you. But you also say that now the, your partner comes first, and I just wanted to read so. You say about um, that counselling in the Asian community is a thing that couples do when they're getting divorced. Yeah. And I think actually that that is across the board. I think it's kind of, oh, they're having counselling. It's that's a, a bad things must be really, really bad. But you the, you made four points in a post about marriage um, and like how it had felt before you started having therapy. And I I was reading was like I've never read anything that so succinctly explains how I felt about my husband I imagine how a lot of people have felt or about our relationship so you said you have the same arguments or this is had have I don't know which (laughs) the same arguments over and over life became tit for tat and about keeping score um there was loads of criticism about how they needed to fix things and they needed to change and also that you you stonewalled so you both shut down and disconnected almost to avoid conflict because when you go back to the conflict you're having the same rails over and over again and I think those are so common and there are so few people who can write that down so eloquently about marriage and it's so important because if you are feeling all those things it's also really isolating yeah I mean to children really do 
rock your relationship. And I think that's the other thing I think as women we struggle with because we're told to put our children first. And actually, mm-hmm. I think I put my husband first because if I have a good relationship with him, my own needs are met. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know what it's like having kids. You know, I mean, this is probably the only adult conversation I'm going to have until six o'clock this evening when my husband clocks up from work and then we can talk about it. And even then, that conversation will most likely be about our children. Yeah, Logistics, it's not what's happening tomorrow, who needs a packed lunch. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. tired we are, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we go around that circle where your needs as a person aren't met. And so then it does become, I mean, I'm, I'm in that, I feel very much like I'm writing that post now because I feel like we're there at the moment. And, mm. you know, s- s- relationship, like all of the things, it's like a circle and it comes in phases and there are good phases and there are phases that really aren't great. And for me at the moment, my relationship isn't in a great phase, not because something is inherently wrong, but because I have a bloody newborn who takes up all my energy and... Yeah time so I don't have time to listen to my husband's needs and he doesn't have time to listen to my needs because we are exhausted all the time and I'll say oh yeah I'm so tired I slept for like four hours last night he's like yeah I know I was up too and I'm like no you don't know I was the one with the boob (laughs) you know I gave my body for them yeah (laughs) and so we do need to talk about it because it is normal. It, and I know mm-hmm. this and I can say this in hindsight, having been there twice before that, how much yep. my relationship was rocky after the birth of my first two. And mm-hmm. therapy has been just a way. It's, it's been that window or that door of opportunity to find one another again. And which is why I say, you know, for me, therapy has become one of those things that we dab in and out of as and when we need it. It's not, oh, my God, my marriage is breaking. I mean, I can say this now, like we aren't, we aren't, you know, in the best place in our marriage. But mm-hmm. anyone that's had a kid can probably relate to that because when you have a kid, you're not in the best place. You know, just before she was born that year, we, we before the pandemic, our regular thing was taking annual leave together. Once a month, we took annual leave and spent the entire nice. day together. And yeah. now we're at a place where we barely, we're like passing ships we barely mm. dock in the same port for like more than five minutes <laughs> but and also if you don't say those things out loud and if you don't understand then you could very well think well my marriage is over mm. because it's really hard and it's and you're like oh should it feel this hard yeah. I think especially after having kids like that's it, it, after each one and it was exactly the same and I felt such rage and resentment those were my biggest yes. feelings um yes. at my husband and he's like whoa who, who's this person but I I didn't have the words to explain it and just that reading those four points that you made I was like that it, that starts to explain it really well but it's you know what the interesting thing is Steph it's rage and resentment over shit that wouldn't matter normally mm-hmm. you know like I don't normally care how much my husband sleeps I literally don't. But when he's sleeping while I'm awake at two o'clock in the morning, boob out trying to set on my newborn. And it like I'm just like he is out cold. How how is he out cold? Does he not hear my agony that I haven't yeah. vocalized? Oh, I, oh, they do something really stupid. I remember <laughs> once my husband left a light on. So he must have gone and checked on the baby in the night. And I got up at three in the morning something to do a feed. And the the bedroom light was like on full on so I was furious I was so angry because the baby was awake like awake because they thought it was daytime how are you 
did you walk out of there and leave the light on? And little things like that, yeah. that I'd be like, I would never do that. Yeah. Or he once left a box of my um, carefully expressed breast milk oh. out of the freezer. That is the and it, and it defrosted and but and stuff like that. It yeah. was like I, that wasn't funny at the time. No. <laughs> so livid because it was like I'm just you're not helping me. I need you to help me. Like I needed. If he wasn't helping, if he was making it harder, it felt like he was making it 10 times harder because it already felt really hard. Yeah, and I, and I think it's because, you know, normally in a relationship, you're used to finishing off the other person's thing. So I know, like, my husband has a way of doing certain things, so I will cater to that need. So my husband, for example, knows that a part of me... Um, probably has an inner queen in her because I need to have tea every day at four. That is my need. <laughs> I need to sit down at four o'clock, even at yeah. work, I need to have tea. That's my thing. So he caters to it and everything resolves around that. But when yeah. you have a child, instead mm. of meeting those sweet little needs of one another, you're yeah. completely oblivious to them. And so it's not yeah. just that your needs aren't being met on a very basic level, you're not even on the same bloody page, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But those kindnesses, you're right, those little kindnesses. They disappear. You, they disappear and you do, there's just no time for them no. or there's no thought of them. No. And then you said so you're just existing like that quietly moving around the house with no connection. And I think most people have probably been there and it's hard. But I think what you're saying about getting help is really positive. Um, yeah. And what point did you realise that you needed to put your partner first? I think it's when you know it comes to a point where I think I was just happy to be silent and not have any conversation with anybody like at mm. home I just want you to be left to do my own thing because in my head I was like if I'm not communicating nobody is going to disappoint me mm, yes, <laughs> in, my, yeah. in my unreasonable expectation because let's yeah. be honest when you are when you are in that space sometimes your expectations aren't quite reasonable because oh know, I was batshit crazy at times yes but. exactly like it's okay <laughs> if someone defrosts the breast milk really in the grand scheme of things and so when you then you go into a place where you just don't want to have that conversation because it's going to trigger another argument and you don't have the headspace for it I think mm -hmm. that that was for me was like I think we just I think we are both wanting to communicate and both want no not knowing how and so yeah. that's where the therapist came in and was able to contextualize things for us that actually it's okay he didn't mean to defrost your breast milk and she didn't mean to shout at you mm. and tell you you've ruined her life with a baby yeah. you know yeah 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 all of those things all, all of the those other things, things I said but I but yeah I I think it's um it's really important and also it's it's something that I think when you start talking about it I imagine you get messages but I'll have people messaging me to say god I I feel such rage at him or I feel such anger at him. And it's like, you, sh you should be able to tell your friends that, or you should, you should be able to talk to someone about that because you need to be able to say, and I find like, even this, this conversation, you end up laughing about it, which then when you come back together with your partner, you are like, feel less hatred about this thing that they yeah. did once you've been able to talk about it with your girlfriends. And you end up, I know with my girlfriends, we'd end up talking about the mad crazy things that we'd done yes and maybe we'd been a bit unreasonable at times when we were you know hormonal and exhausted and all that stuff Absolutely. but it doesn't help if they point that out to you at the time you know if your husband says well you know you being are you are being a little unreasonable <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that's, not, that's not going down well no no, no. 
<laughs> that's another that's a that's another argument waiting to happen and I think that's what mm. it becomes isn't it and that's what I mean it becomes tit for tat like mm. you start keeping score of stuff that you would normally never keep score of uh, and I don't mm. think it's healthy keeping scores in marriages and, and in any relationship whether that's your girlfriend parents whatever you mm. should allow things to be dealt with and then that is it they're buried and be done with um but you are so right if you, if they were to say anything I mean even I mean I'm in that phase now Stefan but the beauty is that I'm a third time mum but and I think I know I've had sometimes when I have talked about any of this I've then had messages and I, I imagine with this post you had the same from people going my relationship ended when I was you know three months after having a baby maybe we need actually could have lasted had we spoken about it had we got help had we've been able to communicate about it so you think it's actually massive yeah um if no one mentions it and we just kind of all carry on going oh well but that's the normalization of things right so if the message you're getting is that oh we went on a date night two Mm. days after x was born looking great looking great (laughs) and blah 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 no, I'm sorry. I'm I'm I I'm a this almost four month. We went out once to the cinema to watch Spider Man, and that was a few weeks ago. And even <laughs> then, we had an argument just before we left. Oh God! The Honestly, get, leaving the house. Oh Kieran, yes. Leaving why the haven't house. you done this? Why did you not preempt oh. my brain message that I didn't send yes. to you, but you should have known? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot. <laughs> um, the the other thing that you wrote in this post was that. Um, despite what we've been taught all of our lives, vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. And I think across all those bits that we've just discussed, so whether that's about, well, you know, having your, having a baby and having that fourth trimester mm. and needing to ask for help, whether that's with marriage and needing to ask for help, whether that's saying it's not enough for me to just be mother or it's um, I'm feeling this guilt and that again, it's vulnerable to say it. That's what you're doing across your everything that you're doing across your feed is is basically having that vulnerability. So I think that means you're doing an awesome job, actually, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, maybe. I am my own worst critic. And one of the things I've learned in therapy is to try and be kinder to myself. But I think there is something very humanizing in in, rec- in recognizing the vulnerability in others and being able to relate to it. And the mm-hmm. reason I feel like I share the things I do because I feel I have a sense of duty to do that because mm-hmm. I, I recognize the privileges that I have. And mm-hmm. part of that privilege is that I'm able to access things that other people may not be able to or through my training or whatever else. And my platform is my way of giving back to the community, but also it's very much about showing people that, and I always say this because people are like, oh my God, but you're a doctor. How did you go to therapy? How how are you talking about these things? That even If I can do it, anybody can. Um, mm. And not because I think I'm amazing, but, but because honestly, people hold you up to this pedestal that you don't want to be held up to and you become mm. very reluctantly a superwoman or reluctantly a hero mum or whatever else you want to call it but actually mm. most of us are just surviving um and 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 that's okay and we don't often get that message that you know it's okay to just exist we, we're told we need to be better all the time mm. and so owning your vulnerability and showing it to others 
it makes for a better life and I think a better human experience. And ultimately, we are social creatures on a very, very basic level. Humans need other humans. And I think the world is just less isolating when you can connect to one another and recognise despite culture, despite religion, despite ethnicity, that we all go through very, very similar unifying experiences. We just need to talk about them instead of hurting in the corners of our houses and and crying in, in corridors at work. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. That was awesome. massive thank you to Kieran I would really recommend finding her on Insta and going back through her posts um, she's at the munching medic I'll put a link in the notes but especially the ones about marriage I think given it's something that so many people do there's not many people who speak about it honestly maybe not comfortable enough to talk about it honestly we've just had Valentine's Day and there are a lot of posts declarations of love which is lovely if that's how people are feeling but we know it's not always like that Um, And that is just part of marriage, that it has ups and downs. Uh, We've actually got some episodes coming up on relationships. So do get in touch with any questions or comments, um, as I'd love to include them. It's podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com or you can DM me on Instagram. Um, And thank you so much for listening. Pretty please, if you could rate and review, if you're enjoying this, it makes me happy to hear from anyone who is listening. And I hope this coming week is a good one. I've got to figure out how to sneak gargantuan cardboard creations into the recycling without Frank noticing. They always, always notice. I don't know how that got there. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, wish me luck. Anyway, thank you. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.